sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Well, my email inbox is being flooded with questions about religious freedom in light of the ongoing restrictions concerning the coronavirus. But I think most of the questions are completely missing where the real religious freedom challenges are coming from. Our guest today, James Chen, Vice President of Global Operations for the Institute of Global Engagement, is an organization working globally on behalf of religious minorities and those being oppressed and building the rule of law and religious freedom around the world. Dr. Chen, it's a delight to have you back on Freedom's Ring today. Thanks a lot, Alan. And, you know, it struck me as we were chatting before we started the show that the real impact on religious freedom is how organizations like yours are having to cancel and postpone events and engagement on behalf of religious minorities and dealing with religious oppression around the world. Yeah, that really is a big part of our work because, you know, as our name would indicate, engagement, we really seek to build relationships and to build trust with all the different people that are important for that. And that would include leaders in government and religious leaders, people on the ground. And so, you know, if you can't travel, if you can't be holding large-scale training programs or conferences in different areas, then that will have an impact. This pandemic is having an impact on that. Well, what prompted our scheduling the interview in the first place was a program on religion and the rule of law that you guys organized in Myanmar, which some of our listeners may know better as Burma, uh, its British colonial name. There's been a lot more press attention to the oppression of Muslim minorities there in recent years. Tell us about your work there and the program that you guys did. Yeah, so in Myanmar, our program has been mainly focused on providing what we call religion and rule of law training, basically referring to a training where we go through the fundamental principles of religious freedom and the rule of law. You know, what does it mean to have a rule of law in a country? Uh, we look at different models of how that is implemented in different regions and areas around the world, here in the States, you know, over in Europe, in Asia. And it's basically to present this as a almost kind of a mirror for people in the country to take lessons and best practices from other countries and see how they can implement those in their own country. So it's not us coming in as, you know, as the Westerners or the people telling them, you know, this is, uh, you're doing this the wrong way or you should be doing it this way. But it's us coming in and saying, you know, here's the lessons and the challenges and um, other regions and other countries are dealing with these issues. And, you know, you take from this what you, what you, you know, how you would like to and, and try to, you know, make your own country better. And so that's been our basic approach. We found that's been a very appealing way to, to approach the issue with, you know, whether it's government leaders, whether it's with religious leaders. In the case of Myanmar, we've worked with some of the major Buddhist leaders there, as well as some leaders in government. 
because we want to ensure that if you want to get sustainable change in a country, you need the buy-in of the people that are in charge, the people that are in power. And you want to show to them how having greater religious freedom is in the interest, is in their own self-interest, as well as the interest of you know the people in their country. So, you know, what is the pitch? Um, when you say that having greater religious freedom is in the best interest in a country like Myanmar, which is a, a Buddhist majority that has historically mistreated, for example, Muslim minorities, um, what do you say? Yeah, great question. The pitch that we take is that there is real, hard-nosed social scientific data and research that illustrates that countries where there is greater religious freedom, there is also a high correlation with greater economic growth, greater social stability, a higher percentage of women participating in the workforce, um, all of these different variables and factors that contribute to the flourishing of a country. And if you are a responsible person, if you are a patriot, you know, if you love your country and its people, then, you know, why wouldn't you want these things? And that pitch obviously may not work for every country that's in the world. But for Myanmar, that's been going through a political transition, and albeit a very rocky one, um, that's something that, that they were interested in learning more about. And so that provided us with an opening to be able to do our work there. Well, do you ever get pushback you know, from those, whether it's in Myanmar or other countries, who say, well, those are all good things for our religious majority, but we don't care about those things. We don't care about more of the minority participating in the economy or their women working or, you know, their quality of life. Do you ever actually get that kind of really direct opposition? Hmm. Not expressing those terms. I would actually be quite surprised if government officials would put it so plainly. Usually they would like at least to put on a pretense of caring about minorities and, you know, and all the people of their country. But usually what we hear is concerns about security, you know, and how they frame it in terms of extremism or radicals in the minorities that are, you know, that, that could be performing terrorist attacks or, or things such as that. Or in the case of Myanmar, they would probably argue that there are extremist factions within some of the minorities, like the Muslim minorities or Rohingya or the Kachin people or the other, you know, Christian minorities saying that they're threatening to you know, split the, the country into different territories. Um, so those, those are the kind of concerns that, that we would usually hear from, from government leaders. I would think, though, that saying, look, um, the best way to, you know, heal these sorts of rifts is, you know, to respect their freedoms and to, um, you know, to kind of bring them into the mainstream rather than ostracize. Yes. Do you have those kinds of conversations? That's exactly the conversation we have. Um, and right, we, we do tell them that actually, you know, to put it very simply, religious freedom equals security. In a country where there's greater religious freedom, you are also implying that all minorities, ethnic and religious, feel that they have stake in the, the health and the development of the country. They feel they belong to it. There's a sense of belonging. Um, uh, they don't feel alienated or discriminated or prejudiced against. And and so and it so logically follows that they will not feel that they need to rebel against or to engage in any violence against the state. And so when you have that kind of situation, then you have greater cultural flourishing. You know, you don't need to spend as much money on internal security forces to, you know, put down rebellions. 
could focus your a limited budget more on economic development, you know, things like that. So mm-hmm. yes, that's the argument we bring on. It's not going to appeal to, you know, certain more hardline segments of the government. But what we found in different countries uh, like Myanmar is that the government isn't necessarily a, a monolithic entity. There's definitely officials and agencies that are more open to these arguments like these um, and more willing to work with organizations like ours. So we've sure. been pretty blessed to be able to work with uh, these kinds of people in Myanmar. So I want to come back to something you said earlier that in your religion and rule of law presentations, you're presenting different models of religious liberty, uh, not only like an American or a European model, but an Asian model of, of what's working. And when I heard you say that, it brought me back years ago when Dr. John Graz was uh, director for religious liberty for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. He and I were working on a festival of religious freedom for Hawaii, and I had asked him about organizing a conference about how do we translate religious freedom into an Asian context, because I understood that, you know, in the West, we may have this sort of uh, cultural imperialistic concept that um, our attitudes and our values and our constitutions and our approach to rights should be universalized. But realistically, they came out of our unique political and cultural and, and religious context, and they're not a perfect fit in many other countries. And we need to understand, you know, how, if we're going to promote religious freedom in other contexts, well, how is that going to work in their own context? You can't just be trying to impose somebody else's model. So, you know, to the extent that you agree or are very interested in what sorts of Asian models you've been looking at and talking about as having some positive lessons for countries like Myanmar. Yeah, well, that, that's exactly right, um, the way that you frame that, because, I mean, there are definitely arguments that we would typically hear in countries like that is when talking about, you know, human rights or using terms such as those is that these are Western constructs or these are, you know, ideas that are only suited for Westerners. Um, what we are very careful to do is to include uh, representatives and, and lecturers and experts from countries such as uh, Singapore or Japan or South Korea, you know, very Confucian environments for some of them. Um, you know, in the case of Singapore, it's definitely not a liberal democracy as we have here in the West. Um, that's more of an authoritarian state. Um, but they've, I mean, in terms of religious liberty, they have a, a pretty good, I mean, what they've got going down, on down there is, is not bad. So, you know, make sure to include those cases. Um, sometimes we even have experts, uh, from, from China. Um, now, now, given that this expert is not a government uh, supported expert, this, per- this person can speak a little bit more objectively on a case, but it's important to present both, uh, both positive and negative examples and to see, you know, what are the, what are the effects of them? Um, and so that, that's been very helpful in, in the program that we've done in Myanmar. Well, I'm, I'm glad you qualified that because um, I would have a hard time uh, thinking about how a person from China could represent that there were positive aspects of religious freedom in China. Uh, that's a topic we have visit, we keep coming back to here on Freedom's Ring. Uh, but 
we don't need to go too far there now because we really don't have much more time. Any final thoughts for our listeners on, you know, the, maybe the challenges that you face uh, going forward, given uh, the uh, coronavirus crisis that we're dealing with? Hmm. Yeah, I, I'd say maybe one of the main concerns is the virus may provide a pretext for governments, you know, wherever they may be, to to maybe crack down further um, or to apply more stricter control over the countries. Um, that's one development where we're trying to track and, and see what happens with that. Um, but one on the kind of more positive end, uh, so this most recent training we did in Myanmar was directly towards uh, targeting the um, Kachin minority. And they have not gotten as much press as the Muslim minority, the Rohingya, but they're, they're a 98% uh, Christian minority group, a number about a million. And, and they've been very much um, persecuted. There's, there's thousands of uh, internally displaced persons uh, just from the civil war they've been engaged in with the, um, the Burmese government. And so uh, we had a, our first training there last December. Uh, they've asked us to go back and you know, God willing, uh, this summer uh, we, we, we do plan to hold another one, but we'll, we'll see with, with everything going on around the world. So um, yeah, so we'll see how that goes. Our guest today has been James Chen, Vice President of Global Operations for the Institute of Global Engagement. James, thanks so much for being with us on Freedom's Reign. Thank you, Al. As we close, friends, remember, even the coronavirus won't slow down our efforts to protect your religious freedom. Remember, at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We provide legal services for those suffering religious discrimination. So check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. And don't forget, freedom is not free. Be informed, get involved. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association, a producer of Freedom's Ring, at religiouslibertyinfo And be sure to listen to Freedom's Ring on our SoundCloud radio station or on iTunes. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, keep freedom ringing.